So I'd like to invite Israel Ruiz uh, forward uh, to, as Israel is preaching for us uh, today. Israel is uh, a pastor at City Church of Wilmington. Um, and as many of you know, City Church of Wilmington is a uh, one of our uh, parent churches as uh, I did a church planting residency at City Church, and Israel is there doing the same residency. But one of the beautiful things that we have uh, the opportunity to do is that Ironworks is partnering with City Church, and so Israel is going to be here quite a bit preaching for us. So, for example, um, December 29th is Israel's going to be back again for us to preach for us, and so uh, we're, uh, so you will ha we'll have the opportunity to to hear from Israel. Uh, to, and Israel is uh, originally from Peru, uh, and he ha was a pastor in Arlington, Virginia as a church planter, and uh, he recently moved, he and his family recently moved up here to uh, Wilmington, Delaware just last month, and so uh, with that, I'd like to uh, invite Israel to uh, come forward, and uh, he can introduce himself in the scripture passage as he uh, leads us in our time of, uh, of hearing God's word. area to Wilmington, actually Newport, it's very complicated. Just <laughs> uh, according to the postal office, we are in Newport. According to the landlord, we're in Wilmington. <laughs> but we just moved here a month, and a, a month and a half ago. We have, my wife is here present and my cousin is visiting. She's, she studies in Penn State. And uh, my kids have a two, Antonio, he's eight, and my daughter is Leslie, she's five and we want to thank you for welcoming us. This morning, we're going to see the book of Ephesians. We're going to see verses 14 to 19, but I see that it's printed up to verse 21, so we'll read it anyway because it's the word of God. And let me read this uh, to you and then we pray. For this reason, about my knees, before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. And all God's people say, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence that we have sung this morning. We pray that you will open our hearts, our ears to, to, to pay attention to what you have for us this morning. Pray that my words, I pray that my words will speak your truth, Lord. I pray that the illustrations or whatever I say, if they forget it, that's okay. But I pray that they will remember what you have for your word. 
uh, for my brothers and sisters this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, we just pray, right? We all that have been going to church have prayed once, twice, hopefully more than that, sometimes in public. Um, how did we learn how to pray? As I mentioned, I have uh, two, two kids. The youngest one, uh, she prays with us on the table, and she thanks God for the day, for her toys, for mommy, daddy, now my cousin visiting, and for our turtle. My son is older, he's eight, so he adds some more to that. He thanks God for things that ha happened in the past for wants and needs, desires of his heart. We adults, if we are new to faith, sometimes we say, I have. Lord, I just, just, just thank you for just being here. I just want you to use just a lot. I don't know if you have noticed that. And I, I'm not here to say one prayer is holier than the other one. But we are all learning how to pray. And where do we learn how to pray or how? From people and from the scripture. The passage that I just read ends a section of the book of Ephesians with a prayer. It's a prayer. In uh, the, first, uh, the first chapter, Paul opens Ephesians as well with a prayer. And before talking about this passage, I would like to talk a little bit about John 17. And this is why, because I think that the rest of the Old Testament after John 17 is the answer to Jesus' prayer. Jesus, in John 17, he prays for the unity of his disciples. He's praying, Lord, I'm sending them to the world, please keep them united so that the world may know that you have sent me. And in the last section of John 17, Jesus is praying to God for iron works, for city church. He's praying for the future of the church. Jesus is praying. I pray for those that will come to believe in you later, now, that they will be one. That they will be one. He repeats that multiple times, and every time he says that, he ends that section saying, so that the world may know that you have sent me. And I think, uh, I think that's, you see that developing in the rest of the New Testament, especially in books like Ephesians, in which we just read uh, the prayer of Paul. Paul is praying for unity. It, verse uh, 14 starts, it says, for this reason, for that, I'm not going to make you read everything before, but I'll give you a quick summary of what happened before for the reason that why Paul is praying this. Right before this section, this portion in chapter three, Paul reveals the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. What is the mystery of the gospel according to Paul and to God? Is that God is reconciling his people to himself. And not only that, but that God is reconciling everybody among themselves and with God. So many times we think about salvation, about religion in my own and God, but there is more than that. It's not just reconciliation between you and God, it's also reconciliation among God's people. And you know what? That is really hard. 
it's really hard to be with people that look, that sound, and that believe different things than you. It is really hard to come to this building. I mean, it's easier if we don't get deep in relationships, right? All superficial to sing and to have the Lord's Supper and to then just go away and do nothing among yourselves during the rest of the week. But it's really hard once you start building relationships to deal with people that are different than you. For example, now there is, have you heard about that phrase now, okay, boomer? <laughs> you heard that one? I read one that it was a, was a millennial and a boomer. You know, the boomer couldn't stand the millennial, and the millennial was complaining about the boomer, and then you have the Gen X in the back saying, oh, these two drive me crazy. <laughs> it's really hard. And you know that Thanksgiving is coming. It's really hard to be even among your family. You have people that, I'm not one to talk about politics, but you know it's part of this culture. You have people that are coming with some strong beliefs in one party and the other one in the other party and the other one in the back, I don't care. And it can get really, really nasty, even though it's your family. It's the same in the church. It's hard to, to work with people that think different than you. I can tell you that coming from a different country, a different experience. It's hard to, it's easy. I see this often. Diversity is very common now. It's popular in the culture. So everybody wants to have a woman on the board and a minority on the board. But once you get deep and you start bringing your ideas, I have experienced a few times that people tell you, oh, that's so good, but why don't you apply that with your people, right? Or I've heard women coming to high positions. I used to work in DC, to high positions, and they all go, yes, I want to be treated because of who I am, because of all my education, but then at the end of the day, they get paid less. They don't know if they want to be, the, they were hired just to have an, a face, or they're afraid that they will be abused by people in power that will tell them, no, yeah, that's okay, but we don't do that here. And that is hard. And that we bring all of that baggage into the church. So it is hard. It is hard to work with people that are different than you. And the context here, when Paul wrote this letter, he wrote it to the churches of Ephesians, or, or Ephesus, the churches of Ephesus. Um, these churches were very diverse. They were Jews, and they were people with different backgrounds and different stories. They were Romans, they were uh, Greek, they were pagans from different cultures, and they all of a sudden, they are worshiping Christ. And they are bringing different traditions, different accents, different food to the place of worship. And that causes division. And sometimes it is because you are just racist right away. Or sometimes it is because of ignorance. Like, I, you are, I don't know what to do with you. You are different. I'm just going to be with my own, with my own group. I remember one day walking in central Illinois on the street and... This, uh, this sticks in my head. I mean, I remember this very clearly. I was walking back home, and somebody was driving, and they yelled, uh, go back home, Mexican. 
and I speak the same language, being in Mexico four hours during my, uh, when I was changing planes to come here, you know, I don't know how to cook tacos, I love tacos, um, <laughs> and I never had them in Peru until I moved here. But that sticks in my mind because I heard you don't belong, you are different, go back home. And I experienced that not many times, but it stays with you. So that brings, so when I go places now, it's in the back of my head. It might not be true, but that's how it feels. That's like, am I going to be welcome or not? And some of you probably don't have that experience to go back home European, but you have a different experience that you have in, oh, you are a musician, oh, no. We don't do that here. Oh, you you like art? Oh, yeah, you know. Oh, I hear this is a college town. There is a college right here. You know, sometimes there are different mayors and people don't re don't relate well because no, we are different. You are different. You have been told that you are different once in your life, and if not, talk to Robbie about it later because I'll be going home. And that's what Paul I think is writing here. He's telling the people of Ephesus, you all know this is hard. It's hard to be united in Christ. That's why I'm praying for you to be strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit. Verses 14 and 15 says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I believe that this, this gives security and comfort, especially to the minorities of Ephesus. Why? Uh, the word father, in the Greek, pater, pat, the first part of the word, and family is patria, pat. You see the, the root of the words are the same. I believe when they, hear, they heard this, they heard unity, Wait, God, is saying that I'm the same as that guy over there that speaks different than me. I'm the same as the people that are coming from different places and different backgrounds. So even though that the majority is making me feel different, under God, we're not different, we're the same. So I believe this is giving comfort to the people of Ephesus to hear that God is the father of all. See, the people in that time, they, they worshiped different gods, multiple, multiple gods, and they wanted power from those gods to use them for their own benefit. And we see that this is different. Here it says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. When you name somebody or something, in the first century and around that time, it meant that you had power over what you name. You had ownership. What you name belonged to you. What you name had power. Well, what name you had power over you. These people used to pray to angelic beings and hear Paul is saying that God has power. He has named everything on earth and on heaven. So people were like, everybody 
everything, even the celestial beings, belong to God. And the rest of the prayer, I'll break it in three parts, verse 16, 17, and the second part of verse 19. Um, in verse 16, it says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. We see the, the agent of this power is the Holy Spirit. That according to the riches of his, of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. You see the difference here? between the kind of power they wanted to have, the, the people in that time, they wanted power to use it. Paul is here is praying that we will be strengthened with the power of Christ in our inner being, in our hearts. That was Paul is talking about, about you when he says your inner, your inner being. When we first... Uh, before moving, uh, moving, before leaving, living in Arlington, we used to live in the Midwest, and we we rented a house once. Uh, we went to the house and beautiful home, it was large, backyard, large home, but in the inside it wasn't very uh, very clean. And the room that where we used to, our bedroom had really old carpet. Maybe the carpet was put there before the house. It was like very old. <laughs> and the, the, there was a basement full of spider webs. So it took a while. It took a while to make the house our own. We had to rip off the carpet. We had to clean the closets from cat poop. We had to do a lot of cleaning. And little by little, we started to decorate the house and make it look like our own. So when you walk in, you will see this is our home. This is our home. And I think that's what Paul is referring to in verse 17. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. By dwelling, I think, I believe Paul is talking about by um, taking residency, ownership. When you become Christian, the Lord God, he becomes the owner of your life. But if you don't live in the house that you own, the house is not going to look like you, right? You have to dwell there. You have to live there. You have to spend time there. And I believe that's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying that Christ should dwell in our hearts. Should take the carpet that is nasty, he will rip it out of our lives. We have to let God dwell within us. We have to walk in him. We have to come and worship. We have to experience the Christian life in order that we will look that he owns us. As a, I see that that's what Paul is talking about here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts 
through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have a strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. I would like to read to you, I usually like the ESV a lot, that's the, the version that you have here, but I like the NIV in this time, uh, verse 18. Let me read it to you, the translation of the ESV for verse 18. It says, uh, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. So I believe that what Paul is saying here is that he's praying for us so that the Lord may dwell in our hearts through faith so that we can experience with all the saints the sweet, sweet love of Jesus. If we, if we go back, uh, you don't have to, I'll go back to Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. It talks about the love of God. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. In verses, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That's describing the kind of love that Paul is talking about here. God loved us so much, you all probably have heard this once, John 3, 16, that he sent his only son so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then I think Paul explained it so well here in uh, Ephesians 2, 4. We were dead in our trespasses, but in Christ he made us alive. Uh, I think the simplest way that I heard the explanation of the gospel is this. God made it. It was beautiful. We broke it. God fixed it. That's the gospel. God created everything beautiful. We broke it, and he, fixes in, he fixed it in Jesus Christ. And that is the love, the love of, the love of God. That he made him who had no sin, be sin. Sin, not singing. I have a hard time with that word, sin. Uh, let me explain to you briefly what that word means. It means missing the mark. Okay? Missing the mark. So maybe you think, oh, I'm, I'm a good person. I, I'm fine. I don't sin. I don't live in sin. I'm a good citizen. Right? But sinning is more than just doing bad things. It's also not doing the good things that you're supposed to do. It's missing the mark. And if we think about, if we think about sinning as missing the mark, I think we all have. Right? We all have missed the mark somehow. And Paul is telling us that Christ went to the cross so that whoever missed the mark will have eternal life. So what happened on the cross is 
Jesus is on the cross, holy, without missing the mark. He received the consequences of us breaking, of us rebelling, of us sinning against God. And he, all the holiness that Jesus Christ had, he transferred us to us. That's what he's saying in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Christ took our sin, put it on himself, became sin, and died and paid for it. So that us will receive his holiness. And that's what it is. It is really, the gospel is really, really simple. You don't have to have a PhD to get it. You can be three and get it. You can be four and get it. Jesus Christ, God loves you so much that he paid your consequences so that you wouldn't get a spank. That's how I explained it to my daughter. Okay? So that you wouldn't get grounded for eternity. And if you believe that, he gives you his holiness. So when God looks at you, he sees you as Christ. So that's the love of God. That my God made him who was not sin to be sin for us so that we will be righteous before him. The gospel is not complicated. And I think that's what Paul is talking about by talking about love here. He wants us to experience the presence of God, of Christ dwelling in our hearts with all the saints in community. With all the saints. He wants us to know the love of Christ. To know is to have a relationship, to experience it. Having married to my wife for third, it will be 13 years in December. Yes, you have to know. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I get. It will be 13 years in December. I still get to know her more and more every day. She knows me a lot more than I know her. But you know, we we are we are not infinite, but we are so. Co complex that you get to know a person more and more every day. And it's the same with Christ. You never stop getting to know him when you have a relationship with him. And this surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I think, uh, well, Paul later explains what the fullness of Christ is in 4.13. He says, the church is equipped, uh, excuse me, it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of, of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what Paul is talking about, about the fullness of God, the fullness of Christ, is when we, the body of Christ, come together with different backgrounds and different stories and are one body and are united and use our gifts for the sake of the gospel, we get to experience the fullness of Christ. When we share together the sacraments, when we celebrate baptism, when we sing to the Lord together, to the Lord together when we worship together in our community groups, here in Sunday school, 
when we go outside so that the world may know that Christ was sent by God, that's when we get to experience the fullness of God. And you know what? That is hard. That is what Paul is, I think, one of the reasons why Paul is praying here for us to be strengthened with the Holy Spirit because we cannot do it by ourselves. If we come by ourselves and try to do it with our own strength, it's going to be really, really hard. Paul knows that this unity is hard, but he also knows that it's possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it is hard for introverts to be among extroverts, isn't it? We might drive you crazy. I'm talking about the extroverts. I'm on the extrovert side. We might drive you crazy if you're an introvert, right? Or the other way around, too. If you're educated, it's hard to have a conversation with people that don't have your same education. When I used to work, we had a person that retired, and he was the head of the Air Force One, in charge of Air Force One. And he, we had a person sitting next to him in a meal, and his work was to clean the buildings outside with powers, power, water, spray, whatever he would spray the buildings with water. And at the beginning, it was hard for them to, I mean, they love each other, right? They respect each other, but it's hard because what do they have in common? The conversations are different, but once they get to know each other and they realize that they are one in Christ, they became good friends. It's easy to see the differences right away. That's why I think Paul is praying for us to be strengthened in the Holy Spirit because he knows that it's hard. Here in the history of this country, there's a lot of division in politics and culturally too among African-Americans and Anglos. It is, it's not easy. It's not easy. As a minority, I can tell you that not all Hispanics are the same. We all speak the same language. We all don't eat the same food. We all don't listen to the same music. We have people from the city, people from the mountains, people from the jungle. We have South Americans and Central Americans. Asians too. You know, Japanese and Koreans. It's very, very different. It's very hard. But Paul knows that through the Holy Spirit, through his power, those things are broken. I mean, are put down. They are put down. And I don't think Paul is talking about assimilation here. He's not telling you to assimilate and become Jew. He's not telling you to become American or stop being who you are. But he's talking about you coming with all your diversity, with all your background, and celebrate among the saints your unity in Christ and bring your story to the table. He knows that to do this, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he's praying for us. That's why Jesus was praying for us for unity. When people see this unity, they will wonder, why are they, why are they doing this? And I think that's what I was talking about from the beginning. I think this is the answer from, yours, from Jesus' prayer. When people see this unity, boomers, millennials, Gen X, uh, 
minorities with a majority, poor and rich, when people see this community of Christians together outside of the church, they will be like, why? We can tell them, because we are united in Christ. That's what Paul is, uh, Jesus is praying for that in John 17 at the end. Really, please. He's praying so that when the world sees this diversity, they will know that it's possible. It's possible because Christ is in us. He wants us to testify out of the church, um, the, the, the doors of the church, so that when the world sees this unity, we can tell them we're united because we're one in Christ. And when the world sees that, Jesus says, they're going to believe. So to experience that, I invite you to keep coming, uh, come to the party, the second, third year, third year anniversary party. Come, come, get to know your community of saints. Bring your gifts, celebrate the diversity, who God made you to be, come. And bring who you are to the Lord's uh, presence and see how you can partner together so that the world may know that Jesus Christ came. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray for this unity. We pray that you will unite this church, that you will give it one vision to serve this community so that the world may know you. I pray that your Holy Spirit will strengthen this community so that the world may know you and so that the people here will feel your presence, Lord, and that they will be equipped for your ministry. Thank you that all of this is possible in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.